Welcome back to another episode of the Field Guide Podcast. I'm your co-host, Nathan Drutz, local extension educator for crops in Stearns, Benton, and Morrison counties. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Claire LeCan, local extension educator for Rice and Steel counties. How are you doing today, Claire? I'm well, thank you, Nathan. How are you? Not too bad. Good. How are, how are weather conditions your way? Oh, we are pretty fortunate, you know, down in this neck of the woods that we are doing just fine. I guess right now we're recording in November and it's a little bit windy, but I can't complain much other than that. Well, that's good. You know, we're we're doing all right, too, up in, in the central part of the state. Uh, we haven't had a lot of snow yet, but at the, as of this recording, that could potentially change here soon, but we'll see how that plays out and we could sounds like we got about 50 50 shot of having a lot of snow or no snow so uh, either or yeah we'll find out and so here we are recording in rice county and happy to be joined by dan and aaron honkin and i'd like to let them introduce themselves a little bit and share with us a bit about the history of your farm here in rice county yeah i'm dan honkin and my dad bought the a farm in uh, 1964 and he started milking cows he got up to about 120 head that he was uh, milking and then he went out in a buyout about 1988 and then he switched to he had probably about 30 beef cows and was doing cropland and then he decided around 90, uh, 93-94 that he was going to go back to work blacktopping so he'd get a pension. And he asked me to take over the farm. So then I upped the beef cows, and I'm running about 140 beef cows right now. Thanks. And uh, how many acres are you running, and what does what, does that composition look like a little bit? I'm doing about uh, 500 crop and probably 500, 450 pasture land to run the cattle on during the summer months. Yeah, and to let our listeners know a little bit about the area, can you describe the landscape and what you're working with here a bit? Great big hills and clay. <laughs> <laughs> so good uh, area to have some pasture, huh? Yeah, and so what are you primarily doing for feed? And I, and we know you have a few different things going on. Yes, uh, doing a new thing, Kernza. That's a multi-wheat kind of grass. And that's, you plant it once every three to four years. Uh, we do corn for silage and earlage. We have some hay ground, and then we run some soybean acres to rotate. And we do a lot of cover crops. And I actually harvest some of the cover crops for feed for the cattle and let them graze on it too in October. Yeah, that's kind of a natural fit, isn't it, for uh, having livestock and cover crops. How does Kernza fit into the equation? I mean, we're kind of in corn and soybean country, so Kernza being a perennial intermediate wheatgrass, how does that fit in with your cattle and other crops? I think it's great for the cattle industry because you can have them graze it off in the spring. You take a grain in August. Then end of September, you can let them back out on there and graze it off, and it's almost free food, I think, for the cattle. Yeah, and then additionally, you said you use cover crops for the cattle as well, so how does that work? Uh, after we take silage and even beans, we broadcast or drill winter rye and turnips and, you know, rape seed, and I don't know, we try something all the time, and... Then we, I actually harvest some of it in the spring sometimes. If not, the cattle are grazing on it. Uh, by, next to the pastures, I got fields to it. 
So it actually works really good. So you're running your cattle out on the cropland with the covers and also in the pasture. How does your rotation work? Corn, soybean, pretty much rotation. And oh, how do you uh, manage your cattle out on the cropland and oh, the pasture? And, uh, padlocks, like 15-acre ones. Not the, I'm not switching them every day. It's probably 10 to 14 days. And on the cropland, when the cover crops, I just let them out on that. I just have it fenced. So, but it extends the time that cattle are out on pasture by a good 30 days, I'd guess. As long as we don't have snow on the ground, they can be out there. Well, before we get too much further into this, maybe we should let Erin introduce herself as well. She's been sitting there very silently. Hi, I'm Erin Selner Honkin. I've lived out here on the farm for, I don't know, 12, 12 plus years or so. And um, definitely, you know, there's that saying that uh, I wasn't born on a farm, but I got here as soon as I could. I've, I feel like I've embraced it and carved a little niche here for myself. I grow a lot of flowers. Um, I have a husband that's very supportive in, in helping me with that. And I um, have embraced the 50-mile uh, bouquet idea of having uh, sustainably grown flowers and that grown, not flown mentality of, of fresh cut locally grown seasonal flowers so I have a CSA uh, of a CSA membership of 36 folks that get flowers from me a couple times uh, every other week through the couple months during the summertime and you know I, it's nice to have a farmer that cares about the, the land and pollinators like I do and um, I think it's I don't know we work we work really well together yeah, so that is a feature of your farm that I think is really cool is that you have the flowers, but you also have other pollinator habitat. Would you like to talk about those areas a little bit? Yes. Uh, on a couple farms, we've done bee butterfly gardens and stuff on the edges. And then, like this year, we did a lot of, on a couple fields, the edges, we did, you know, six feet of sunflowers just to, have them on the edge and growing and then we got crp we got wildflowers out there growing purchase a lot of pollinator mix yep. Specific, yep. you know for that yeah so your fields are buzzing throughout the year huh? yes <laughs> dan can you talk about you know some of your other creative food sources for your cattle because you're talking you have some kerns that you feed which again you kind of explained that you you harvest the grain and you're feeding what is kind of known as straw, but it's not really straw. No, uh, we haven't did a test on it, but it's it's a little green, and the cattle love it. We've put bales out of grass and clover, and they eat the kerns just as fast as them bales. It ain't like they pick and choose. So, I mean, it's I, it's got to have good value because the cattle go towards it. So if not, if it was just straw, they just right. they pick it clean. So or else they just push it around, you know, so, but we haven't did a food vat. I know some people have, and it, it's got vat, it's got protein and stuff in it, even when you're taking it for grain. It's it's not your typical wheat straw. Sure, yep, and then what else? You have your soybeans and your corn, and then you also feed a sweet corn silage. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, uh, there's a company over by Montgomery that, you know, does pea pack and, uh, sweet corn pack 
And we get about 500 ton of sweet corn silage from them to feed during the winter that the cattle can, I use it as a filler and they just can eat on it all day long as much as they want. And that's the most cheapest way I think to feed, help feed cattle. Well, and I think we've done a pretty good overview of everything out here. That seems like there's an awful lot of different topics to select from. I mean, we've, we've got potential beef cattle topics here we could go. We've got crop, different crop topics that we can approach, cover crops. We've got alternative crops. We've got uh, CSAs, flowers. We added and, solar this year. Yeah, solar. Yes. And, you know, in the, the greenhouse itself, you know, we got a short tour here right before we started recording. We got a chance to go out and see this greenhouse that is just a shed that they've taken the roof off it's it's really cool to see so there's a lot of different topics here so i think we're gonna what, what i'm gonna do here is we're just let, we're gonna start working our way through some of this because there's a lot here to unpack and, and one of the things uh from from my perspective from where i'm at one of the big topics is forage production we've got a lot of dairy in central minnesota and so it's always interesting to see how different areas and different animals utilize forages in a different way and so we've, we've talked a little bit about that we know you have corn silage or sweet corn silage which is something that we do use up there but i really want to look at your pastures and, and just talk to you a little bit about your pastures here for a bit and you know one of the things there is uh you know, we were talking about how you renovate your pastures and could you just take us through some of the process there that you use to when, you, when you're looking at a pasture and you're looking to start renovating that I I like a lot of clovers and alfalfa in it. If I can get alfalfa to grow, we talked about that. It's kind of hard to no-till alfalfa and get it to stay in pastures. Uh, I use a no-till drill, and every few years I put clover mixes down. And just to keep up, it gives nitrogen to the grass, keeps the weeds down. I, I don't know. I, I like it. So, I, I mean, I do bird's feet to our it's oh, bird's foot trefoil. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. There. Yep. And that seems to be, I just tried that. That actually is, that's pretty easy to get going. And it's a nice flower. Off the record, it is everywhere on the farm. Now I find yeah. it everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, birds, I, that, that part doesn't surprise me. Bird's yeah. foot trefoil is a lot like sweet clover on that front where you, you get it going, it'll go. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's really interesting because, you know, we don't use a whole lot of bird. Well, we do use some birds for tree foil, but we're starting to see pastures come back. And, and so you've mentioned you don't like to use alfalfa. And, and what have you tried on that front? Why, what hasn't worked and why hasn't it worked? Or do you have that idea? That I, I think, you know, because you're going into, you know, if you're going to do a new pasture, you could get it to work. But we're no-tilling, and it just, I don't think it gets a good enough stand then the cat are out on there. It just, it don't recover in time. I don't, I think it, it just, it's hard to, and, and I've tried every alfalfa. I mean, I tried the crowned ones. I paid, you know, 500 bucks a bag. And uh, I'm assuming by the crowned ones, you mean the ones that where the crown is actually lower, lower into. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. For yeah. high traffic in, I, you know, and I just, I'm going to actually start giving up on it and just do clovers and stuff for money. And uh, for actually productivity, you know, it just it, is I, it is it an establishment issue or is it? I a, think establish to okay. keep it growing. I, okay. I you I get it going. It must be a little weaker than the clovers, where clovers will grow. And it's you know it's a weather thing too. I mean, so some years you know you plant it and don't get rain for a couple weeks when it sprouts. You know, I it's for money wise compared to clover, it's 
kind of no brainer for me. So I mean, yeah, and, and and honestly, that doesn't surprise me a whole lot. I know from conversations I've had with some of my colleagues up in the Northeast, when we start talking about alfalfa, they do use some of it up there as a grazing crop, but actually, uh, you know, it, it really comes down to how you manage it in the in the pasture itself. But that's it's something where recovery time is actually something that's highly if you're going to manage for for alfalfa in those situations recovery time is something that yeah. you mentioned is, is actually highly important and once again that's weather out yep. of your hands you know yeah. sometimes they got to come back to that padlock you know when you first get it trying to go it, it's just you know you can do everything right but weather's there and sometimes that affects everything so yeah yeah, and you mentioned this no-till drill, and, and this is a conversation that we're having a lot right now. With There's a lot more questions on how do we no-till into into some of these pastures, and so clearly you've got a no-till drill that you like to use. Can you talk us through that a little bit? Yes, I got a Woods. It's a 72-inch. It's got the discs in front, but I just leave them straight because I don't want to disturb too much. And then it's got spikes on it, so it gives you a little hole, and then that drops the seed on that. Then there's a cultipactor behind that that you know levels out if you do disturb anything but you really don't but i think it's just seed contact you know to push it into the and i try to do it in the spring but you know another thing's weather I'll, I'll if i got seed i just run out there in august you know and just try it see if it comes if i look for spots that need it so i'm not afraid to do clovers and alfalfa and pastures i mean I don't have no bloat issue or nothing. I call my cattle the garbage can of the farm. <laughs> they'll <laughs> they'll take care of themselves. That's, that's good to know, you know, because that leads us right into the, the other question here I've got is, you know, you mentioned you like to use bird's foot trefoil and you've mentioned clovers in the mix. You know, what, what kind of clovers are you utilizing in these mixes? Your basic red, and then there's the white clovers and... I know that one time we bought six different kinds and just was trying it, but the easiest ones are the red clovers that get going. White, there's a couple whites that have been okay for establishment, but and I can usually keep them around for three years, and then when they start thinning out. That's another source of pollinator habitat, yep. too. Well, and something else that's interesting there, you know, we talk about the heavy clays here, and of course you guys get a little bit more rain. Do you see that during years where we have excessive rainfall, do you have issues with crown issues, root issues with the red clovers, or even in some cases the white clovers, depending upon you know where water sets and things like that? Yes, yeah. I mean, we're talking pasture, so it's some wet areas. And yeah. yes, it, sometimes I'll die out faster than others, or it'll die right away. But it's... Like this year, I can go anywhere and plant, so that was one thing. And we'll see next year when the water starts coming back and see how it does in the lower spots. But I try to go everywhere I can with it. And then, you know, in terms of grass, I know near you were outside, you mentioned you use brown grass and timothy grass. Is that across all paddocks, or are you integrating some others depending upon whether you're in low spots or high spots? Or no, or? I, I pretty much just go where I can. There's sometimes, you know, in the lower spots or whatever, if it's a weak spot, actually like this year, I use for cover crops, the winter rye and stuff, just to get something established, green growing there to give the new seedings time because, you know, you're in a high traffic area or something. We did a 
sorghum in some spots, and that actually did okay this year. But it's a weather thing. So I had seed left over for cover crops, so I just go throw it out there and hope for the best. So so you're using that as an actual companion crop yep. in that case, so that way your your actual perennial species have a chance to get going before yep. your weeds do. Yep. Okay. And with your winter rye, because, I mean, that's a that's a winter annual, so that you plant then the fall or the spring. Fall, usually. yeah, okay. fall. So how do you deal with that as it comes in the spring? Do you go out there in those spots and you cut it back so your your other species can come through? Or is that no, it's, it's or? that's where you're saying the, the lower spots or whatever yeah. and the tougher spots. If I can get in there and get something like that growing, and it seems to let the grass come back better and okay. the cattle eat that and then, you know, they're moved. If oh, it, so it's more of a protection. Protection, yes. Oh, okay, so you have grasses there that you, you take the cover, basically you take the cover crop off and then the other grasses have a chance, chance to regenerate yep. The, yep. the energy the, source. The bad spots. Back. This is just okay, little spots yeah. around. Yeah. Well, and, and the reason why I bring that up is because that's something, too, that we're, you know, we're starting to see more and more as guys are moving, shifting into pastures. Is, is how do you manage some of those difficult spots and, and what are guys doing for those? Because that's... You don't want to get to a point where you can't do something like that, where it's just a dead bare spot, and suddenly now you got to come in, you got to rip it up, you got to replant in some of those yeah. sections, and, and that gets kind of costly. Yeah. And so, you know, in, in other areas, you mentioned that you you try very hard to go out and identify some of the worst areas and, and intercede. How do you how do you go about doing that? Is that just a you know, do you just scout that or do you watch that? Um, what what are you looking for when you're tracking that? I I don't know. I've been out here doing it 20 some years i kind of know the spots i guess <laughs> i i haven't changed much pastures i mean i've had them forever uh i just look for it and winter i don't like to compete i found that out but if it's a little bare you know you get some of it coming uh that's why this year the sorghum actually i thought came pretty good in a few spots to help protect it cattle eat that you know and not worry about the little seedlings there until next time when it can grow a little bit so yeah sorghum sorghum likes to grow anywhere and anywhere we yep. we were working on a theory earlier this year that we could get sorghum to grow with no water whatsoever and we we've, we proved that wrong in wright county but in, in benton county we were we were thinking we were going to get away with something there we did did some acres of peas this year and uh yeah the, it, it didn't come very good as in years past, you know, it sat there, we planted it. it was during probably that 30-day stretch, we didn't get no rain, and it didn't do very good. I thought, oh, this will, nothing can slow that down. No, it's, it, we didn't get much off of it, what I was expecting for feed, so. Yeah, if we want to touch on alternative crops a little bit, Dan, I think not many of our listeners are overly familiar with Kernza or that intermediate wheat grass. Can you share a little bit about, so how do you manage that? You don't have to do much. I mean, once you get it planted, it it takes care of itself. It's thick enough. After the first year, the weeds are, I have, don't need to, you know, I'm not organic, so I could spray, but I haven't sprayed after the first time we planted it. So it's pretty easy, and if you want a little bit more grass, you can fertilize it. Like this year, I didn't, though, and it, it produced fine. And they kind of found out for the grain side, fertilizer don't actually help. So uh, that was one thing. Mm-hmm. So it, it's hardy. Like I said, the cattle go out there and beat it up in the spring and, and comes right back. So 
And how many years do you get out of it? They're saying that next year will be my third year, and that's when your grain might go down a little bit. But my hope is that the cattle beat it up, that it ain't getting as thick because it, why you don't get grain is because it starts, it tillers, and it gets too thick, and then it just does grass. It don't get the head on it. It's in a beginning stage, and and uh, Allen of, what is it? Clean River Partners. Clean River, because they changed their name. Yes. Yeah, and a couple farmers said, oh, Dan Honkin will try it. Go talk to him. So as you can see, we pretty much try anything <laughs> out here and see if it'll work. That's good that you will experiment a little bit. So what areas do you particularly put the Kernza? Are there specific places on the farm that it works best? Well, we got it on a, the trial one is on a pretty good chunk of land, but this August we planted some on some, you know, highly, you know, erodible land, and it it's coming. We'll see how it does. I mean, so that's for next year. Because it's a perennial, it holds that soil in yep. place for multiple years then. Yep. And to build the soil where it's, where it needs it, so that's what we're hoping. Now, like you, all you gotta do is get it planted once, and as long as it sprouts and it it's good. So, and they're saying whatever the roots are six feet deep or whatever. So right, yep, it goes a lot deeper than some of the cover crops yep. too, and for a longer time. So, are there any challenges you've faced with Kernza in particular that you would maybe warn other farmers about? They don't like wet spots. It, it, it's got to be. It's got to be. Uh, not wet because it just it'll it'll drown out. I don't know if you know if you get it established, but this was trying to get it established because we tried it on another farm and it just didn't take good just enough because it had a few low spots and it was a wet spring, and it just it died out and we just actually planted no-tilled soybeans into that one because the stand just wasn't there, but. I mean, it's a try thing. Are we talking low spots as in water standing low spots? Or yeah, water standing, and okay. just just for a day or two, but that was enough, and then it must have been too saturated, you know. It was a wet spring that we, I remember it. It was a few years. We did that field first, so it was probably four years ago, and it just had a few little lower spots, you know, where... There's no drainage. Yeah, it's got drainage, but takes a little bit of time, you know. We're yeah. And it, it, it didn't it didn't catch there. Well, that's interesting. Uh, you know, you said you plant it and you let it go. Is is there like a nutrient requirement here that you will, that you have to apply? What are you, what are you, are you doing on in nutrient wise? Are there disease insect issues that we should be aware of? I haven't had any of that, and a few that you know when we go to the meetings and talk, I haven't heard no one worried about insects on it. How about nutrient requirements? That's just how much more grass you want to get off of it. Because, like I said, they, the U of M said fertilizer don't help produce grain if that's what you're going to sell. It's just if you like, after you take it, if you want to get a bigger stand to cut in the fall or to graze it, for it's just up to you. And so. what do you do with the grain? So we kind of talked about how you feed off the so-called straw. What do you do with the grain? The grain, it's a, it's a mar- it's a market we're trying to establish. You know your 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 bakeries and stuff, and they're making beer out of it. They're starting to make everything out of it. Uh, 
chips. Uh, there's a couple of sal- salary companies uh, up in the cities are in cargo is starting to talk about it and stuff. So they want to get into stuff. So it's just it's in the beginning, and just like everything, it's going to take time to build a market. Something that I've actually been curious about, and since you've actually harvested this stuff for grain, it, a question that came up this last spring was when, at what point do you harvest? For a lot of our crops, you know, we have we have stages, growth stages that we know. At what point do we want to harvest? At what point do we want to harvest this stuff? It's just, it's when the head starts falling down, it it tilts down, and that's you kind of just you can win roll. We took it straight. And what do you mean by took it straight? Combine just. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just a straight, just, or straight just, cut. Uh, small grains yep. head. Small okay. grain head, and yep. And you okay. set this, you know, combine different because it's a smaller seed. Yeah. But yeah, that seemed to work fine. Okay. Yep. And when we look at that chaff coming in with the green grain, is it a pretty clean, clear grain that comes out, or it's, you know, we're doing small acres right now, so. About time you get it dialed in right, you're, you're done. done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so okay. I mean, it's so, people are learning. I mean, yeah. it's it's a new new thing. So, but yeah, it's it's not terrible. But yeah, is there a special setting that you already have kind of figured out that you? Yeah. You they, start yes, with they that, they've started. Yeah, they the U of M and stuff got a list for what combines you got, what you should set it okay. for. So. And you mentioned it's a very small seed, so that's something to yeah. keep in mind. Small grain. S- smaller, yep. Well, yeah, when they say small grain, it's not, <laughs> it's even smaller than some of those. So yeah. That's, uh, that's but that's crazy. what they've been doing is improve the size of it. Yeah. To, and that's what the Land Institute has been working on. And so, and I heard there's another variety coming that is actually a little bit bigger grain that they're going to start pushing next year. So we'll see. Okay. And working on some of the shattering as well. Yep. Right? Have you seen that improve over time? I not no. I but I you know, I've I'm on a three year old stuff, so I mean every year they're improving. Sure. And I haven't seen firsthand that that crop of the other people that's been doing that. With the new varieties, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Well, we're actually coming up on time. I think it's a pretty good place to put a stop on, on it for at the moment. Again, thank you for joining us here for another episode of the Field Guide Podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to z.umn.edu backslash local. And again, thanks for listening. Tune in next time.